we made this. everyone, I'm Tim Henton and welcome to the brand new podcast, We Played This, the show where I grill a guest about their life in video games. And what an interesting gent I have got for our very first episode. He is a wrestling announcer, he's a humanist celebrant, he is a scout leader, he's the host of the comic book radio show Pull or Pass. He's also the host of a couple of shows on our network. We made this. Um, he does the uh, show Life's Milestones and is uh, also currently hosting Don't Say the C Word, which is airing every single day that we're in lockdown. It is the very multi-talented Mark Adams. Hi, Mark. Hello. Bloody hell. You, you, you've made me sound amazing. And what, what, what are you doing this evening? Oh, we can't. We're on lockdown. <laughs> well, I remember when we uh, we recorded an episode of my other podcast. After I did your introduction, you you just started rattling off other things that you were known for. So I thought I'll get them all in the, the intro, and then he can't rag me for it. I mean, that was that was <laughs> that was pretty conclusive. Thank you. And um, you know, the, so the reason I'm I keep so busy is it, it, it's not really uh, how can I put this? Basically, I I worked out I'm a humanist. Which just means, in a nutshell, and I shouldn't really say this as I'm a celebrant, but it's basically atheism with a bit of philosophy. I, <laughs> I don't like wasting my time. I don't like feeling I've got. I don't like going to bed feeling like I haven't done enough on that day because you only get one life, and it, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about living it. So I do a lot because, well, I don't think I'm going to have much. Well, I'm not going to have anything to do once I'm gone. You know. Well, exactly, and. Uh... Speaking of getting everything done as, you know, doing as much as you possibly can, it's a bit difficult at the moment, isn't it? Because this is the first episode of the podcast, well, the first uh, podcast I've hosted where we are currently in lockdown. How How is that going for you? I'm keeping busy to stop myself going bonkers, I think. That's, that's part of the reason why I'm doing a daily podcast. I'm doing online learning and uh, like um, online courses and stuff. The, the reality is I have lost half of my work no there are no yeah. weddings allowed at the moment and uh, i'm still doing funerals that counts as key work obviously yeah. but i also had a number of zero hour contract jobs as well that i did alongside my celebrant work and they've all gone and it's that time that is driving me crazy because yeah. i kept myself busy with small smaller jobs like what zero hour contracts like i said and um so i've i'm keeping busy to keep myself from not being, you know, a slob in my pants, rewatching <laughs> Buffy, doing absolutely wait, wasting my time, basically. Well, you know, you you do so much in your normal life. Maybe that you've earned this kind of relaxation time. Think of it that way. It's earned, Mark. Is it's that not, right? It's not time wasted. It's time earned. <laughs> Is that right? I, I, don't, I don't want it. I want I want my <laughs> life back. Well, as you know, I uh, I work from home anyway, and uh, I live in the arse end of nowhere where there's nothing to do on a normal basis anyway. So, to be honest, I'm kind of living my normal life at the moment. <laughs> it feels like most days. So seriously, it, it's it's kind of not got to me too much at the moment because basically, I I live with my uh, sister who's disabled, and I manage her care and obviously that means that the care is still coming in every day and it's mm. you know it's apart from having to make sure we've got plenty of ppe available it's it's kind of a same as usual for me which is really weird as the rest of the world crumbles the only thing is obviously not being able to leave the house but as i say i, I barely do it these days anyway <laughs> yeah i'll tell you one thing i thought i would do more during lockdown that i haven't been doing playing video games <laughs> <laughs> well to be honest i haven't played that much either but um it's something that i've uh i've purposely kind of i thought to myself i will leave off as much as possible 
and then see, you know, wait until I'm climbing the walls and then get really back into video games. The two things that I have been doing regularly is um, I dusted off the Xbox 360 and mm. got a, an Xbox Live membership for um, th- just this month, actually. And I've been playing Left 4 Dead 2 with my friend over the internet since we can't see each other. Mm. Never played it. Oh, it's a brilliant game. It's um, It's... A first-person shooter, but you're in a squad of four, basically trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. So it's it feels very apt at the moment to be playing <laughs> something end of the worldy. Um, but yeah, we, I, I as a gamer in general, I've not really been into online games for the last few years. So it's been really fun to, as I say, basically dust off my old Xbox 360 because I don't. Well, I have a PlayStation 4, but I never use it for online. So that's been fun. And then the other Mm. thing I have been doing is once a week, pretty regularly, I've been streaming um, Jackbox games off the PS4 and playing with games, uh, playing with friends over the Internet as well. So that's been quite fun. Okay, I have done that quite a bit, actually. Um, But I have done some Jackbox stuff. Yeah. But I don't know, stuff like Jackbox and Buzz and anything like that that you could get your auntie Pat who's in her 80s to play. In my head, I don't class that as video games. Well, that's funny, isn't it? It, it? I mean, it totally is, but we don't. When it's a casual experience, you don't quite think of it as video games. As we talked about on your podcast the other week when I was yes. on. Yes, indeed. Because <laughs> I was on Don't Say the C Word. I did a whole episode uh, chatting about how ace the Wii U is, which I'm sure will eventually make its way into this epi- uh, into this podcast as well. <laughs> In, well, you know, almost like a preview of what we're talking about today yeah um so yeah the format of the show basically uh ahead of time i've sent mark and all our other upcoming guests a big gold list of questions that i'm gonna grill them on so so that they could do their homework and get themselves prepped on some answers and we start with four questions that i'm gonna ask every single guest and then also a big list of questions that they get to pick for themselves so that there's two questions later on which um will then be different every guest that we have so I think we should just get stuck in, really. All right. I'm quite excited because, obviously, we know each other reasonably well now. We've been on the network together and we've we've been on guesting on each other's podcasts. But one thing that we've never talked about, really, apart from me going off on one about how Ace the Wii U is, I don't really know anything about your experiences of video games. So this is very exciting. Well, I'm an old man, comparatively. <laughs> Compa- well, compared to half the network, you're all in 20s. I was going to say, uh, do you want to tell everyone how old you are? 41. I'm not I'm not embarrassed about it. I just, you know, I've just had more years on the earth than you have. Yeah. So, right, I'll start off with the very first question, which is where and when did your journey with video games begin? You see, this is why I couldn't, I had to be honest about my age, because <laughs> my first video gaming experience was the Sinclair Spectrum. Oh, specky guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you see, we didn't have anything like that in our home. And um, I was old enough to have had a 48K, but my dad kind of resisted. So I then, we did get the 128K, and that had a built-in fucking tape deck, which was the <laughs> coolest thing in the 80s. It was like we were living in the future. A computer with a built-in tape deck and we got this relatively early so all my mates have got 48ks where you have to get a separate tape deck and plug it into the into the computer as was built in it was like the the cutting edge of technology i i've obviously was too young to um, have witnessed the home pc market from the from the 80s because i was born in 88 so I was a child of the 90s. So the, my first experience of like a old school home computer, and I can't remember if it was at Spectrum or it could have been a Commodore or something like that. Uh, but it was at a youth club that I went to. They had one and they only had one cassette for it. And it was G- the Ghostbusters game. So I'm not oh, sure. I, I loved the Ghostbusters game. So there was one for the Specky, was there? Yeah. Because I rem- so. Was that the one where you went round like a little square map and then you got to be an Ecto-1 
and then you got slimed or something like that. Right. So this was my entire experience of this game. Okay. The guy who ran the youth club brought it in to show us because he knew we all liked games. We we the youth club had an N sixty four on site, and um, he brought it in to show us how cool games used to be. Loaded it up, spent probably twenty minutes waiting for the game to load off the cassette, and then it crashed. So we never oh. actually got to play the game. <laughs> so that was my entire experience of um, home. Uh, computers from the 80s then recently something that i've not meant i don't think i've mentioned on any podcast i've done so far but um me and kirsty actually a couple of years ago tried to kickstart our own gaming cafe oh that's amazing which i'll come back to in a minute but one of the things from that was we were trying to source various consoles and things that we hadn't owned before and i actually got um I don't know if you saw it, but they've they re-released a Spectrum Mini a couple of years ago, which was basically a, a cut-down version of the ZX Spectrum that plugged directly into your telly and had all the games built in. So it's like um, the little SNES thing that's essentially yeah. an emulator with a Raspberry Pi. It's a Raspberry Pi inside a pretty box. Essentially, yes. Yeah. So they, they made a Spectrum version. I bought it for the cafe. And holy crap, I can't play 80s home PC games. They're completely impenetrable to me. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, because it's they were all very the games that we play these days all stem from kind of the Japanese market and the American market, and they'd set up these kind of rules that are still followed in gaming of how you play. But the British market kind of did its own thing so much, and as a response, like I couldn't play any of these games because they were too difficult, and also. The logic of how you play was different. They were very fiendish and unforgiving. I definitely think you're right. The the evolution of video games. My partner always jokes about press. What is it? Press start to not die is the <laughs> joke that he makes. But um, you, I don't know. For, I'll, I'll use my favourite Spectrum game as an example. Dizzy. It is a side-scrolling puzzle platformer. That's the egg, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And um, if you, you got three lives, and if you died, you had to restart from the very beginning and do all the puzzles again from scratch. Oh, bloody Nora. But what? I didn't know any better at the time, and I absolutely loved those games. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think at the time, if it's all you know, but having gone back to it, it just it, I, I just found every game that I tried infuriating. I lasted about two minutes on anything before I then had to move on to the next game. <laughs> well, I've never used the the little cute thing you're talking about, but I, I have used an emulator on my home PC for Spectrum games. And the difference between that, the only difference between the emulator games and the original forms is you could actually save them. So you could right. treat Dizzy like a modern game, and you yeah. every time you completed a puzzle, you could pause it. Uh, so you could save it, and that meant that you wouldn't have to go back every time. And I really enjoyed the, the, the Dizzy franchise even more than I ever had done because of them putting in the save function with the emulator. Yeah. So do you still have your old Spectrum, or do you just uh, tend to use emulators now to get that experience? It's it's emulators, and the reason for that is 80s kind of logic is that, you know, we weren't as affluent as we are now. Things weren't as disposable as they are now. And my specky went to one of my cousins, I think. Yeah, hand-me-down culture back then. Yeah, absolutely right. And the Spectrum is... I'm still very, very fond of it. But I don't think I want the little cute emulator thing because unless it has that extra pause function that, that emulators that you can download that are like the size of a Word document. <laughs> yeah. I think um I think you can actually like um the spectrum is still reasonably priced to get second hand because I don't think there's a massive market for for going back to the spectrum. Which is obscene because it was fucking wonderful. <laughs> Do you remember like uh, what the very first game was that you you played on it? 
I certainly remember a lot of. You got to remember, this is it would probably have been about nineteen eighty five, eighty six. Yeah. So this is over thirty years ago. It might. I can remember certain games that I adored. There was the all of the Dizzy games. I ate those up. Um, the Ghostbusters game you mentioned was great. Um, the one that I remember that is the most obscure, but the one we enjoyed the most, was a game called One Hundred and Eighty. And it was a dart simulator. Yeah, there was. It's weird how some of the things you could get back then. Um, very British, isn't it? As well, a darts game. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly it. It was clearly very British, and it was. But it was something that, because my dad and my brother and I all liked watching darts, it kind of was a family game. Whereas something like Dizzy was obviously a solo game. And the computer was for the family, so something like one eighty, one hundred eighty, got a lot more attention than um, any other game that we had. I've just thought of another beautiful game that you could not have these days. <laughs> it was called Dictator. Right now, Dictator was wonderful. You were the evil dictator of a fictional country. And you were presented with a number of decisions on how you were going to run your country. Were you going to fund the secret police? Were you going to do things that made the army happy? Or were you going to do things that made the peasants happy? And you, if you really upset a certain group of people, they would attempt to assassinate you. And the whole aim of the game was to last as long as you could before being assassinated. Sounds pretty good to me. That sounds... Um... I was like seven or eight <laughs> and I was pretending to be a dictator of a fascist, horrible, con- a horrible fascist country. Not non-existent, you know, not... Yeah. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, fictional. But still, I was a vicious... Pol Pot type character in the 80s. <laughs> I loved that game so much. I'm sure there'll be places, there'll be similar games you can buy on Steam today, I'm sure. <laughs> Lots of little indies out there. I think that one is uh, particularly good for a remake. You could make it really quite icky. The, the same stories, but make it really quite icky with some great graphics, and I think it'd be brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about what you used to play back in the day. Um, but my next question is, what are you playing currently? What am I playing currently? Um, at the moment, I'm playing a lot of mobile games, but we'll talk about that later on. Um, I've I've got a Switch, and I play on my PC at the moment. I do have a PlayStation but that is essentially a Netflix playing machine. Same. Um, um, which my my Nintendo Wii was my Netflix playing machine before that. And I've it's a very expensive Netflix playing machine, and I feel like I should use my PlayStation 4 more, but I only have a finite amount of time. But the game I've been playing the most recently is Civilization VI Ooh. on the PC. Nice. Well, I really, really like Civ Six. I like how I like how, unlike previous Civ games, the leaders are actually very, very distinctive from each other. All right. And I've very much engaged with their characters, and I've found that particular leaders I think are lovely, and I want to be their friends. And I have a completely and utterly irrational hatred of Gilgamesh. <laughs> I um I've never been a big PC gamer just because I've never really had um the appropriate hardware to do decent gaming on. As as we've talked about before we even recorded today, my laptop is just absolutely falling to pieces. Um so I'm completely behind on on the Civilization series. Is it something that you've followed since the beginning or I've followed it since about 4 or 5. I I was late to the party, but I have played all of them now. But Civ Six, it has its faults, and it isn't the most popular one in general across gaming fandom. But for me, I like—I do really like the fact that there's an element of character, and an each—it's—it's it's a bit like a fighting game in as much as 
you can kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, and win. And you could do any strategy of attempting to 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 be the most successful civilization with any of the leaders. But there are nuances of each character. So I don't know. You could build a lot of um, pyramids with Cleopatra in the same way you could do a spinning pile driver with Zangief, if that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. So, so because, again, it's because I really like fighting games. I like the character elements that Civ Six has brought in. It's not just like Civ Five backwards, where it was just a name with a tiniest of little difference of bonuses you got from different terrain and stuff. The the difference between, for example, India has got two different leaders. You can play as Mahatma Gandhi or Chandragupta. And if you encounter either of those two Sivs in, as non-player characters, Gandhi is very, very peaceful, very, very lovable, and, and really kind of... A, he's, he's nice to have as a neighbour. Chandragupta is an absolute shitbag. <laughs> And they're both Indian, and I think that's fascinating that that these two leaders from two different periods of time that have been put into this game, and they're represented very well. Chandragupta historically didn't like people on his borders, so if you border with Chandragupta, he's really rude to you, (laughs) whereas Gandhi was a lovely, peaceful man, so if you border with Gandhi, he wants to trade with you. And I just think it's really lovely that each character has a very different behaviour and you have to work out one way of dealing... Like, the, I can't remember her name, but the lady from Holland is a very peaceful lady who wants you to trade with her. And if you trade with her, great. There's a guy... Alexander the Great want, wants to make friends with people who viciously attack other countries. And so... You have to behave differently with Alexander than you do with the nice lady from Holland, who I can't remember her name. Yeah, it's cool because, yeah, as you say, older ge- games, it it would have been, you know, different cultures are always usually quite stereotyped in, in oldest kind of titles. So it's it must be interesting to see, like, a bit of more nuance in a game as well, as you say. Yeah. Um, I always... I always keep wanting to get into Civ um, because obviously they do tend to have ports onto various consoles, but I always tend to think that the, well, they always tend to say that games of that scope don't translate well to a console and are better on PC. So it's kind of things that I've tended to steer clear of. And another one that I really want to get into is um, City Skyline, which is like the, uh, yes, the kind of up- updated version of like sort of sim city uh, not by the same yes. developers but apparently the the switch port for that is absolute dog shit so <laughs> yeah i've i i'm curious to see how it converts onto the switch but i'm not pay 35 pounds curious that's always the thing isn't it if it if it was a bit cheaper like if they knew that the port was a bit pants and so they reduced the price then maybe maybe i'd give it a go but yeah the thing with Civ is there are different ways to win. You can win via war, you can win via science or culture or um, uh, diplomacy. And there's, there's there's five different ways to win it. And there are different Civs that are suited to different types of victories. So I went through all of the victories with the ones that, like, for example, I picked um, Pericles for science. And I picked Tomaris for military because they were best suited to those types of victories. And once I'd done those, I then set myself up with challenges like Pericles for a warlike win and things like that. And there's, I just, there's so much like repeat gaming replayability. Replayability, yeah. And like, for example, I'm I am a hideous, hideous warmonger. <laughs> Whoever I play, I'm a horrible warmonger. And I'm very vindictive. I will be a lovely, lovely, tradey, friendly, peaceful chap. You declare war on me, I will wipe you out. You be <laughs> dead if you attack me first. And is that a 
you know, a standard kind of ethos for a humanist to have, or uh... probably not. <laughs> no, v- vindictiveness is not the the, the nicest of uh, virtues. But like I say, if, if I, I'm nice until you fuck with me, and um, <laughs> only in civilization, maybe in real life. No, only in civilization, and I. I try really, really hard to have non-fighty, non-fight. Like I had one, right? I had one game where I was like, right. I am even if they attack me first, I will behave decently. And what was his name? The one from um, it wasn't Caesar. It was another Roman guy, and he attacked me three times. And I was like. Right, I'm, I'm just going to murder you. You are dead. <laughs> I gave him three chances, which is three more chances than I'd normally give. And he kept attacking me. I was like, right, boy, bye. And uh, <laughs> hideously. Right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> on, that no- on that note, let's go on to the next question. So, what would you say was your favourite single-player experience? So, now, this could be... Struggled. Yeah, it can be... Like, it doesn't have to just be a single game. It could be a, a a specific memory you have of a specific moment from a game, or it could be a console that you think is particularly good for single-player experiences. It's quite a broad question. Yeah, I think what I'm going to go with is something really vague. Side-scrolling stuff is okay. probably my best way of describing it. Okay. Uh, my very, very favourite game I mentioned when I had my Spectrum was Dizzy. Yeah. And I had, I, I just kind of inhaled those games. I spent my life with Dizzy's until I completed them. And um, that kind of then became Super Mario or Sonic or Castlevania. But then the, then the fighting kind of side-scrolly side stuff, like Final Fight and Golden Axe turned up, and they hmm. blew me away. And I've just, so it's not just platformers, it's the kind of side-scrolling fighter games that I have a huge fondness for as well. Um, I, I, I would struggle to name you a favourite. There's, there's lots of really weird, obscure ones that I loved that everyone hated as well. Joe and Matt Caveman Ninja comes to mind as one that I liked. And no, nobody likes ghouls and ghosts, but I really like ghouls and ghosts. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Golden Axe and stuff, on I have really fond memories of um, playing Streets of Rage two on the Mega Drive with a friend that lived down the street. That was uh, that was my jam back in the nineties. Was uh, that, that's my side scroller, I think. And as well, I always saw that as a bit of a Final Fight ripoff. Whereas in my head, even though it was exactly the same kind of gameplay, because Golden Axe was a different um, setting, I didn't see it as a ripoff of Final Fight. Right. Fair enough. I it, it, I was a really weird. I I never had Sega as a as a kid. I was mm. always um, a Nintendo guy. So I, in terms of sort of fighting games, it was just Streets of Rage when I went around to my mate's house. Oh, and the uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Street Fighter ripoff as well. That was brilliant. I don't know if you ever got to play that one. No, <laughs> I didn't. Did you Did you ever play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Simpsons arcade game? Right. So. I went to, I obviously lived at the seaside, lived uh, near Cleethorpes. Um, and so we used to go down to the seaside a lot. And there was one um, kind of kids soft play area that we used to go to a lot with our cubs and scouts. And they had both the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cabinet and the um, Simpsons cabinet. But because we were already paid into this uh, soft play area, my parents were too tight to give me any spending money when I got there. But I used to just love watching the intros to both of those games because they were so beautifully animated for back then. And so I I only got my first actual proper experience of either of those games about a year ago because up until then, all I'd seen was the intros. <laughs> They were very, very special games. And I, I do think that, and I know that there is a big difference between a side-scrolling fighter and a side-scrolling platformer. But I just, I, I don't know why, but the two, even the difference between 2D, does, does, does Final Fight 
does that count as 2D? Because you could go up and down the screen a bit, couldn't you? I, I think that still counts as 2D, yeah. Yeah, and it was the 2D scrolling, sidewalking, linear stuff that I've always got on with the most. But there are lots and lots of other games. I think handheld is very, very different to um, to to any other. And there's a lot of handheld games that I've absolutely, absolutely loved. I mean, Tetris, I don't want to know how many hours I spent playing. <laughs> Hell but yeah. I like... I've always liked puzzly games on handhelds, so right. like Layton, and there was a fantastic one on the 3DS called Hollywood Crimes. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, seeing that one, yeah. Yeah, and there was one on, again, another one on the 3DS, maybe it's just because it's relatively recent memory, but this one sticks out as, because it was so innovative, there was one called Spirit Camera, which was a horror one where that used Aug- weird... Augmented reality. That's it, yeah. And you- that was great. But I've also dead fond of My Little Empire shit as well, which you've touched on with Civ, but also Theme Hospital, Sim City, Roller Coaster Tycoon, that sort of thing. I've loved churning hours into making a pretty. Yeah, yeah, I, I can feel that. Kirsty is playing Animal Crossing at the moment, which has ever so slight elements of that, because obviously you're on an island in this one and you can just uh, design the island to your liking and stuff. So I, I, yeah. I, I find open-ended gameplay like that a little bit too much for me. I, I have to have a very clear uh, objective to be working towards, otherwise I get really bored in games. So most of the time I tend to go for more story-driven stuff. Or or like, like you said with sort of 2D side-scrolling things, you're working your way from A to B in a very... Uh, linear mm. fashion so you always know that you're making progress and i do like that in a game so and obviously being a a, a nintendo kid my first side scrollers were on the game boy so it was uh Mar- super mario land and super mario land 2 the warrior land games they were my jam for when it comes to uh to side scrolling and a hell of a theme tune as well which one or do, all of them do 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 Oh yeah, the first one. There was there was a rap single uh, that was released with that as the backing uh, track, and it was oh. like an official Nintendo product that was released. Uh, and I, could, I require this yeah, in my life. It's uh, if you can find it, it's usually pretty cheap on Discogs if you buy it on a forty-five. <laughs> the song itself is terrible, which is the oh, reason sure why is. I haven't bought it. So that's your life in single player experiences. What's your favorite multiplayer experience? So I feel like I gave you a lot of games, a lot of games I just like for the, <laughs> for the last question. And I don't feel like I answered it properly, but I can give you an absolute when it comes to favorite multiplayer experience, because it's a game that I played for six, seven, eight years of my life solid. And I got a lot of, Without wishing to be too personal about it, it helped me through a rough period that I didn't really know who I was or what I was doing with my life. I was, frankly, I was stagnated in my late 20s, early 30s. And I have a lot of friendships associated with this game that I think I will keep for the rest of my life. And this is that's World of Warcraft. Cool. I, I bought it like maybe three months after it started because a friend of mine was playing it and he'd played a lot of MMOs before and he'd always tried to get me into MMOs. I was like, no, 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 no. And then I had a go and I stuck at it. And so long story short, I'm old enough that video games were just a single player experience or you had to have people come around your home way before you could do anything like this on the internet. So when those kind of games didn't exist. There were a lot of games that you played by the male, played by male games. And I made, again, I made a lot of friends through games, a game called Quest and a game called Dungeon World. They're both, um, you, you basically got a printout with what happened and then you wrote down what you wanted to do with code. You put the codes of what you wanted to do for your next turn, as they were called, and you posted it back to the guy running the game. And everybody's codes went in at the same time. It created this world 
of everybody's characters doing things at the same time, then you got a, week, uh, a weekly or fortnightly update. And of course, this is completely alien to anyone who has video game <laughs> experience since the internet. Because really, those games, while they do still exist, they're all done by email and they're nowhere near as big as they once were. I think Dungeon World is still going. I was going to say, if not, bring it back, Mark. Start it up again. We should have a We Made This Network game going. <laughs> well, I mean, we could. Um, there probably is a way to do it, in all seriousness. But it was it was great fun. Uh, but I made a lot of friendships through that. This was in my late teens to early 20s. And um, we stayed in touch. We met and we met up once a year and we played board games together and we had a chat. We've now been doing that for over 20 years. And um, this bloody lockdown cancelled that in March. So we're going to do it again in November. Yeah. So these friends I've had now for 20 years, for about about 10 years of this, it was play-by-mail stuff. And then we ended up playing World of Warcraft together. We formed a guild together and we played the game together. We got to raiding level together. We raided together, and it was just great. The game was fundamentally playable and well done, etc., etc. And it was, it is widely regarded as the best MMO, or at least the most influential. But for me, it was the putting your headset on, getting on Discord, and chatting to your mates every night whilst, you know, playing a very good video game. So it was just. I got closer to these people I'd known for years because I saw them every night, you know? Well, I've seen, I've seen firsthand how like strong the friendships made in that game can be because um, Kirsty's sister got married last year um, and her, her new husband, his best man, was a, his friend that he and Gemma met through World of Warcraft. So it... it it, it's it's a, it's insane what a what an impact that game has had on people's personal lives. Not fr- from outside the game. Yeah, um, well, I, I was I was pretty vulnerable at the time, and I needed these friends more than I realised at the time. And I'm, I'll always be grateful to it. And I'm, I haven't played World of Warcraft for five, six years now, maybe longer. Thinking about it, but. I'm still in touch with all of these friends. Every year we meet up, we still play board games. Like I said, we've been doing it 20 years now. And it was these friendships that we had that were very much consolidated and affirmed for life by playing this game together. Honestly, you know, on a Friday night, we wouldn't raid or we'd raid and then we'd drink together online, which, you know, everyone does during lockdown now. <laughs> but um, at the time, that was relatively unusual. And, you know, I'd, I'd get pissed online with these friends while randomly killing I don't know, warthogs for, for their for their leather. And it was it was just great and these Yeah, I it it would have been a great game anyway, but because I had the support of this friendship group and because I had something to work to and work with and you know, it was just it was just great. I used to there was a there was a first person shooter for the Wii called the Conduit, and it was pretty much the only online decent multiplayer experience that the Wii had. And right. I, I'm not friends with him anymore, but I did have a friend called Ant for a good long while, and our friendship started through that game because the Wii was so horrendous for trying to make online connections with people because you had to use like friend codes and it got all complicated with passwords and stuff you couldn't just make friends yeah. you couldn't just add somebody that you'd played with you had to know them so there was a very strong community for that game sim- which was pure and simply made by necessity that if you wanted to play this game you had to go onto the internet onto forums and you had to find each other and i really that's the the most sort of involved I've ever been in an online community for a game was, was this bizarre first person shooter that no one ever remembers that was barely functional, but was, was the best I had available to me at that time. (laughs) But the thing about world of Warcraft for me was it was literally the only game I played for that period of time. Yeah. So I've got this weird kind of like retro love 
of the Spectrum, the NES, the SNES, and the N64. And then I had a bit of a break from video games, really. I got into World of Warcraft and played that solidly as the only game I played really, for a good six or eight years. And then when I came out of World of Warcraft, I really haven't got into modern games at all. No. So I've, I've got like a huge gap in my gaming knowledge. So as long as you don't want me to talk about anything modern, like, <laughs> I don't know, Assassin's Creed or something. Oh, Christ, you're uh, considering that modern? Right, okay, I get you. <laughs> I get oh, where we're at. Is that not a modern one? Well, I mean, it's been around for a good 15 years at this point, but okay. I, I, I learned how to floss. <laughs> uh, one of my scouts taught me how to floss, and then I found out that was from a video game. Yeah, that's from Fortnite, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I was taught by a by 12-year-old how to floss. I, I had a little brief moment where i was into fortnite a few weeks ago because um it's completely free on the switch you don't even need to have an online subscription you can play it so i thought i'd give it a go one time and it's it's all right it's it's fun for a good 20 minutes for some reason i I got quite excited that despite me being terrible at first person shooters i kept winning um over and over again until kirsty pointed out that it is mostly 10 year olds that play so at that point i was ha! like yeah may- maybe i'm not as cool as i think i am <laughs> have you learned how to floss no and i've n- i have no intention of learning <laughs> there's another one that uh, was beyond me one of my scouts did something called the i think it was called the orange justice or something like that and that just looked like he was he was. He wasn't very well. I was going to say, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it's a, it's a dance for you know, like the floss is a dance. Yeah, from Fortnite. yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's the next level difficulty of dance from Fortnite. I couldn't do it. Fair enough. Right. So that was the 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 main four questions that I'm going to be asking everybody. And then, as I said at the beginning, Mark got to pick two more questions that I could ask him. So the first one that he picked was, who is the best gaming mascot? Mario, <laughs> fight me! No, no preamble, no uh, arguments. You just, just Mario. Uh, the reason I picked this was to talk about the kind of like playground rivalry, yeah, that we had when I was like late eighties, early nineties when I was growing up between Mario and Sonic, mm-hmm. and you basically had to pick a side. Yeah, it was, it, it's it's like the gays. You can't be a Madonna gay or and a Kylie gay. You have to pick a side between Madonna and Kylie, apparently. <laughs> but, but I like both, and I, that means I'm not a full gay, apparently. I don't know. Doesn't that mean you're double gay? Well, <laughs> moving swiftly. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I just love how... I don't know whether it's a British thing, because you know, I've only ever been British. But it's almost <laughs> like there's um, ingrained into a culture that there's always two sides yeah. of of a culture that everyone loves, but it's almost like people have to kind of splinter group themselves within a culture. Yeah. And I still stick with Mario, despite the fact that I think that culture's silly, borderline toxic. I bloody loved Mario and I don't quite understand why. If you put them if you like take a step back and you think blue cool good cool dude hedgehog or a fucking plumber with a ropey tash <laughs> you would think that sonic would be the would you, everyone would pick sonic i was having this exact conversation with kirsty recently which is that i i don't consider myself a mario fan and what i mean by that is i don't like the i don't like the art style of mario at all i think it looks very plain and boring in some respects i hate that the the stories are never more complicated than go and save that princess i hate like the lore of the whole games but all pretty much all my favorite games are mario at the same time like it's for me it's always the gameplay is is so much more fun i've and i always I I absolutely am a Mario in the Mario versus Sonic debate, but yeah, at the same time, I I kind of hate everything about Mario. I just like the games so much. So Mario is kind of like Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let me explain this. 
Have you ever watched the teleseries Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Of course I have. Okay, so it's it's a wonderful, wonderful TV show based around the dullest girl. <laughs> so characters like characters like Giles, characters like even Xander, but also characters like all of the witches, um, Willow and Tara, and all of the bad guys. All these characters are fantastic. Spike, Angel, even. Even the development of um, Cordelia and oh, the character development of, of of Wesley. All these characters that spawn around a dull one-dimensional character <laughs> is what makes that TV show and its spin-off Angel fucking wonderful. Mario is very dull. Yeah. <laughs> but all the characters that spawn around him Toad and Yoshi and Bowser and Donkey Kong and everybody that's in the Birdos fucking trans. How brilliant is that? <laughs> and all these characters that spawn around someone who's dull is what makes that franchise wonderful. Yeah, I I'm so in agreement. You would never. Though. No one would ever say I. Buffy is Buffy. Buffy is referred to as Buffy. It's never referred to as the characters around Buffy. But as a franchise, Buffy is Buffy. And similarly, as a franchise, Mario is Mario. Does this metaphor make any sense? No, I I absolutely agree with you on Buffy being shit and Mario being shit, but Mario and Buffy being ace. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where I think... I, I do like the... I don't agree with you on the art style of Mario. I do really like the art style of Mario. I like the... The bright colours and the happiness and the mushrooms and stuff. I, I, I do think that that's lovely. And um, one thing, when I was like making notes on this, I remember your childhood, you remember the weirdest of things, right? There was an article in the Sunday Times magazine about the rivalry between yeah. Sega and Nintendo. And the front cover of that, was a picture of Mario and Sonic in a fist fight. <laughs> and I cut that out and stuck it on my wall. It was on my wall for 10 or 15 years. And um, the only reason I didn't frame it and bring it to my um, my, my, my my home that I, you know, I live in a grown-up home, but I, I still have weird and wonderful geeky stuff. I've got like, a, I've got a punch-out poster on, a framed punch-out poster on, in my, in my landing, on my landing, for example. And um, I was going to frame it, Two things. It was so faded after 15 years on a wall, yeah. it was nearly useless. I was still going to frame it, and then I ripped it when I took it down. Ah, uh, bugger. Otherwise, that would still be on my wall. And it was a random cover. I couldn't name you any other random, co- random cover of the Sunday Times magazine in the rest of my life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a favourite Mario game? Probably Super Mario 3. All right, yeah. Without thinking about it, Super Mario 3. Although the N64 one, I can never remember the name, that was revolutionary. Mario 64. It was, the first... <laughs> was it just Mario 64? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it, was um, it was the first 3D one, and it was... It, imagine Right, imagine if that had been shit. It could have completely ruined the franchise. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was sublime. So I've got a fondness for both of those, but... I don't know, Mario Kart, if that counts. Well, yeah, I was going to ask what your favourite spin-off was as well. So, yeah, Mario Kart does count. Yeah, I always like playing as the big bastards on Mario Kart (laughs) because I enjoy being boisterous and smacking the other people around. Uh, I'm the opposite. I like to be the nice, nippy, uh, nimble, quick characters, little characters. I'd be Bowser and smash you off the side of a ghost castle (laughs) and feel no remorse. Right, so we've finally got to the last question of the episode, which is, which mobile games suck up your time and or money? So th- again, the, there's, the reason I put this on is I wanted to end with something really positive. And um, it doesn't sound like it when I start telling the story, so do bear with me. I've been playing Simpsons Tapped Out for probably six seven eight years and i always seem to have one other mobile game that i run alongside it and so i'm um, tapped out is my constant and then i'll have a year of doing 
a different game, which will then I'll fade in interest and I'll have another one. But tapped out always stays as my constant. And this goes back to, like I was talking about before, my love of the My Little Empire stuff, like Sim City and Theme Hospital. Um, and I bloody love Tapped Out. And so what do you I actually think... do in that game? Because I have heard of it and I've heard it's incredibly addictive and the people that do play it play it obsessively, but I actually have no idea what the concept is. Simpsons Tapped Out, um, there is a vague plot and the vague plot is Homer blows up Springfield completely and you have to rebuild Springfield from scratch. Right. And so your first your first building is... Homer's house. Your second building is uh, the Flanders house. Your third building is the Quickie Mart, etc. etc. And for the first 60 levels, you get a new building and a new character. And after that, it becomes a little bit more freeform. But it's essentially SimCity, but with Simpsons, uh, Simpsons buildings. And each character has their own actions and storylines and quests and plots. It's really well done in, in in how it makes things addictive but it's also quite juicy on the premium uh premium currency which is donuts in this case right and so if you want the m- more interesting characters or the cooler buildings you have to spend donuts and um i used to spend quite a lot of money on donuts you the, as in anything, there's like staggered. The more you spend, the more premium currency you get. Yeah. You can spend a five, you can spend a ten, you can spend a twenty. There's even one that's a hundred quid's worth of donuts. Yeah. For an electronic thing that you know, a hundred quid will buy you a family trip to the zoo, rather than three minutes satisfaction on a on a mobile game. But and I've never spent a hundred quid. I have gone as far as spending 50 quid at a time on it and wow that was a lot of money and i would justify it by well i'm not going out on a friday night i'll buy myself some donuts tonight <laughs> that sort of thing um but alongside tapped out i've played games like star trek timelines ninja turtles legends cooking fever my singing monsters my singing monsters is lovely oh i've not heard of that, um, that one what's that one that one is where you have various islands that you breed monsters on. And if you get a new type of monster, they sing a different part of the harmony. So put, you put the volume up and the more monsters, the more di- different monsters you've got, the more the tune becomes more and more developed. And it's, it's just lovely. And every time you get a new monster, you plonk them down on your little island. And so there's a new monster in the background. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Bom bom, bom bom, and then you get the next one in there. La 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 la, la 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 la, la 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 la. And then they form this fucking beautifully, really, really nice kind of. It, it, for people who like music, I think it's it's a lot of fun. When uh, I edit this podcast, you know I'm going to loop those two sound effects that you've just made. <laughs> That's fine. Bom bom, bom bom, bom bom, bom bom, bom bom, but um. But going back to TapTown, all of, all of these things have microtransactions, which I have, all of them I have spent money on. Um, the one I'm playing alongside TapTown at the moment is Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery, because I like Harry Potter and I want more Harry Potter plot. But what I haven't done on Hogwarts Mystery is ever, ever spend on the microtransactions, despite the fact that game has a reputation for being very juicy on the microtransactions. Yes, Kirsty's played a bit of it, and I have seen how uh, exploitative it can be, let's say. So, and I'm gonna, I'm now I'm going to explain why. It got to the point where I was spending 20, 40, maybe more than that, a month, on microtransactions in these kind of games. Yeah, that's not good, is it? It might, it, it might have even got more than that. I, 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 it was a while ago. And it might have even got more than that. It probably did get more than that. I'm probably, anyway, I was spending a lot of money on them that I shouldn't have been. I don't, I've never been particularly affluent and that kind of money could have been spent on something a bit more worthwhile. And I wasn't, I hadn't spotted how much I was spending because it was yeah, like a tenner here. That's how they a few get days you. days later, a tenner there. Yeah. Um, 
and I was looking through my when when I essentially when I was setting up my own business, I was looking through my bank statements to see how I could tighten the belt and be able to make my business work. As I was setting it up, I knew I'd be earning less than I had been working in a um, in a jobby job a, re- a, a, a with a regular wage. And this was way before I actually took the plunge. It was probably about two years ago now. And um, I looked at it, and I was like, holy shit, you spent 80 quid this month on fucking in-game <laughs> don'ts. What would you have spent 80 quid on if you hadn't spent it on that? And I was like, well, I like board games. I'd have probably bought myself... I'm, I'm looking at my board games now. I'd have, I'd have probably bought myself Werewolf Legacy. And that would have been a physical thing that I would have had, and I could have had a lot of enjoyment out of, rather than a two-minute satisfaction, immediately spend the currency I'd bought, and then not ever think about it again. Yeah. So what I decided, I opened up through the app on my bank account, I opened up a savings account. And um, every time I was about to click on a, oh, I need those donuts to get this house, it's going to cost me £10. I stopped, closed the app, opened up my banking app, and transferred across 10 quid into the savings account. Now, that is a very good plan. So, this savings account was for shiny things that were legitimate treats that, in my head, I couldn't afford or shouldn't be spending money on. So, I got a new tattoo. I I I got a board game. I got some... I know. I, I bought myself a new shirt. I bought myself cool stuff that I didn't need, couldn't have justified. But I'd been justifying spending money on donuts and the other games. I've been yeah. spending on the games as well, and it was equal parts cool because I was getting a lot of cool shit, and frightening because of the amount of money that was going into that savings account. In like a couple of months, I was spending like 120 quid yeah. on something shiny. That I would never have spent 120 quid on like that uh, on payday or when I was down and I wanted some retail therapy. I'd stop myself from spending that kind of money. But if it was in the savings account, then I'd already, in theory, you know, in inverted commas, spent that money on donuts. And so it wasn't money that was, I couldn't justify because I'd already spent it yeah. in my head. No, no, I Does think that that's a very responsible way of looking at it. Because, um, to be honest, I've always been... Uh, I've been very good at... If a game gets too grindy without spending microtransactions, I will abandon it outright, straight away. I'm, I, I'm very good at saying, I don't like this in a game. Uh, the only exception for me has been there was a Star Wars um, base-building game. Um, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was called, but basically you could pay money to uh, upgrade some of your items so they would work better and faster and things like that. And it was, I I was spending, I, I limited myself to about 15 quid a time. Um, but over the course of three months, I probably spent about, well, probably not as much as yourself. Probably about fifty, sixty quid, and I was like, "Nah, I could just buy. I could just buy a normal video game for that much." Exactly. And that's that's the thing that bothers me is that I've you know, especially as someone that's been a gamer for a long time and has a collection of games that you know, I've got games that I've had since I was a child that I can still you know they they cost fifty quid then I can put it in my N sixty four and still play the whole game no matter what. When you look at th- yep. when you have that perspective, I feel like microtrans- microtransactions very, very, very rarely work on me for that reason. And I, th- but I think like there's a whole generation of kids these days who have only ever known that as to be the normal, and they'll always yep. think that it's normal to just keep dropping cash on these games when that shouldn't be the norm. <laughs> and I th- and the thing is right. I'm still playing Tapped Out two years on, yeah. and I'm still enjoying it. And I've found, uh, I did a bit of research online, and I, it's not cheats as such. It's methods of, I suppose ex- exploits could probably be right, but there, there are ways to generate donuts 
at a relatively good rate. Yeah. But even if there wasn't, I'd still be enjoying the game because they still put in the little plots of yeah. a new character comes in for a, a, a an event and you get like a little plot line of them. And I still love it and I'm still building my little empire and I'm still, there's still things for me to do. And I've also got some shiny things that I would have <laughs> never have had if I'd not kind of woken up and smelt the coffee, you know? Yeah. It happens to the best of us, Mark. <laughs> so there you go. That's a positive thing. I think anybody who is playing a lot of games that, and are spending money on microtransactions, try what I did. Because I tell you what, I, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at a tattoo on my arm now that I got because I stopped spending on microtransactions. And does it just say, I... don't buy microtransactions? <laughs> no, it's a cat. Of course it's Of course, a cat. yes. But, um, you know, I've got a fabulous cat tattoo because I put aside, I built it up to over 200 quid's worth of tattoos, uh, 200 quid's worth of money so that I could afford a tattoo. It doesn't work anymore because I've weaned myself off it. I no longer want to um, yeah. spend any money on microtransactions. I haven't for years. But um, the way I do it now is every morning before I get out of bed, I wake up and I transfer a pound from my current account into my savings account. So I'm still doing a little bit of saving for shiny things. You and your shiny things, Mark. <laughs> well, these are things I would never buy if I hadn't, um, in a way, earned them, yeah. if that makes sense. So I do think that if you are concerned about the microtransactions in your mobile games, that that is the way to wean yourself off it. Yeah. Basically bribing yourself. Why not? So, Mark, we've come to the end of our questions. I've had a lovely time. It's, I really like video games too. Yeah, it's been great because, as I said at the beginning, obviously, I don't know what I didn't know before we started what your experiences were like. So, it's been great. And I feel like I, I know you better already. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I've, I, like I say, I've had all of the fun just gassing about something that I really love. So, where can people find you on the internet if they want to find you? Um, well, my website is www.humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. That is for my celebrant business. And it also has a link to my podcast, Life's Milestones, which is my celebrant podcast. At the moment, I'm doing three podcasts, but it should only have ever been two. <laughs> Pull or Pass is a weekly podcast, which is a kind of a shrunk version of a radio show that I do on Fab Radio. Um, that's at Pull or Pass on Twitter. I do Life's Milestones, which is a fortnightly celebrant-based podcast where I talk to people about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and marriage and funerals and death. That's at Life's Milestones without an apostrophe on Twitter. And at the moment I'm doing Don't Say the C Word, which is a daily podcast during lockdown because I'm keeping myself busy. And that's at Don't Say the C Pod brilliant and if anybody wants to find me i'm on twitter at timbles rh and the official twitter for this podcast is at we played this pod so thanks again mark it's been lovely thank you Previously on the We Made This Network. The X-Cast, an X-Files podcast. And just as a side note, right at that moment when they come off of the elevator, they seem to be surrounded by a lot of children. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know, do you know, what is this building that they're in? Well, it wasn't the federal, or was it the federal building? I don't, see, I don't think so. No, but it did have some federal offices.
so yeah, I don't know why the children would be there, although it looked like sort of a, um, a school trip, was it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I thought, well, they must be on a field trip. Yeah. I guess it's probably the middle of the day, you know? Right. What are they doing there? But what, it's like, are they touring the tiny FEMA office that we find <laughs> out about later? And like, why would, why would they let the children in with the alien infected bodies in the FEMA office? Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I always wonder, what are those kids doing there? Without a mouse. You've got some news, haven't you, Tim? News or lack of news or anti-news, but if you couldn't guess already, this trip that I was supposed to be going on and have been going on about since the very beginning of this fucking podcast did not happen. Tim, I felt so sorry for you. And particularly when I was listening back to the most recent episodes that you recorded pre-coronavirus, but you aired them during coronavirus. It was just, oh, it was so sad. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I can't give you a hug. One, because you live a million miles away. Two, because I can't go there anyway. Cinemortuary. I don't know who Steven Spielberg was trying to kid, but he clearly directed this, not the other guy. Oh, cool, mate. You've it. trumped my joke now. I was going to try and clean my glasses lenses and say, Can anybody see W? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite clearly him that's directing it. And all the worst traits about Steven Spielberg come out here, mm-hmm. especially the fucking irritating kids. Mm-hmm. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. Mm-hmm.